0: Rise and shine Africa, zoorana Africa amuka na unai Africa rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amuka na unahe.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa coming from an African perspective live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Moussa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Figi in our top stories, Zimbabwe donates $1 million to the AU. South Africa's ruling ANC leaders outline challenges facing the party. And Kenya becomes the first country to introduce new HIV drug. In economics news, Eti Salas, Nigeria chairperson, resigns after dead talks collapse. And in sports news, Proteas captain Faf de Plessis to miss first test against England. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa. last
2: week. Captain Diodona Kasareka says my, my rebels have taken over four localities in Fizzi Territory. Since Thursday, fighting has killed four rebels and a soldier. Canadian company Bandru Mining Corps has said a convoy of 23 trucks belonging to contractors for the Namoya mine were trapped in the crossfire in Lulamba, which is controlled by rebels. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, has warned that human trafficking is on the rise in Libya, but little is being done to shut down the multi-million dollar criminal industry, with data showing that the number of people arriving in Europe from the North African state continues to rise. The agency has called for action against armed gangs that control the practice. Libya has been torn apart by violence since the overthrow of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011, but its strategic location continues to attract large numbers of migrants and refugees. UNHCR's Special Envoy for the Central Mediterranean, Vincent Koshetal.
3: We should not dream about what can be achieved by humanitarian organizations like UNHCR, like IOM or like other organizations. We can certainly do a bit more than we were able to do three months ago in Libya, uh, but the conditions remain very difficult in terms of access uh, to those in detention, those outside of detention.
1: The
2: UN's Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed says the United Nations and the African Union must work closer together to deliver on the promises on the Sustainable Development Agenda for Africa and its people. The focus of the 28th African Union Summit taking place in Ethiopia's Addis Ababa is on the youth with a call on leaders to invest more in the young people to ensure a peaceful and prosperous future for Africa. Mohammed says the UN and AU's common goal would be to deliver on the promises of the development agenda for Africa and its people. South African opposition party the United Democratic Movement says it's concerned about the process followed by National Assembly Speaker Bale Kambete in rescheduling the debate on the motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma. The party says the speaker's decision to move the date from the 3rd to the 8th of August shows she did not consult with the leader of government business and the chief whip of the majority party as required by the rules. UDM Chief Kaba
4: Yomzi Kwankwa.
0: They should have taken that factor into account in deciding the original date, which is the third of August. We are also not happy with how the whole matter was communicated to us as political parties. Because our view is that the Speaker then, when she realized that there was a Cabinet Lehotla taking place or that there was an oversight on their part, they should have written back to those political parties that requested the scheduling of the motion of no confidence and requested that it be rescheduled to the 8th instead of doing it unilaterally.
2: And finally, thousands of police officers will fan out across New York City as the United States celebrates its July 4th Independence Day. One of the biggest public holidays in the U.S. culminates in a huge fireworks display expected to attract large crowds. Shohan Pricepiece reports.
5: The city's top
6: cop says there is no credible terror threat to the city while warning that people should not let their guards down amidst the celebrations. Police Commissioner James O'Neill pointed to several thousand police officers who have been deployed for the four-day holiday weekend, including the NYPD's bomb squad officers in boats manning the surrounding rivers, while helicopters will patrol the air with NYPD spotters on rooftops. Police with canine units will be randomly checking bags at subway stations, while plain-clothed officers will be mixed in with the holiday crowds. Police have also taken extra precautions in cities across the country, including Washington and Boston, among others.
2: And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka. Now we know.
1: Thank you, Anne. In our top story, the 29th African Union Summit is underway at the AU headquarters in Ethiopia. A two-day summit will discuss, among other things, the African Union reforms recommended
4: by a committee headed by President Paul Kagame. Colette Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. Just over 20 heads of state are reportedly attending the AU Summit in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The chairperson of the African Union for the year, President Alpha Conde of Guinea, explains that peace and security will be key among other discussions.
7: Eradicating poverty and also... And show a better. In fact, uh, in uh, many regions, in many areas, the crises and co- fratricidal conflicts uh, have continued uh, to kill uh, many people and uh, to push uh, them towards the perilous and uncertain uh, direction, and uh, to become. Uh, the mi- migration uh, phenomenon
4: the african union reforms will also be given emphasis during the summit the au reforms are targeting institutional reforms as well as policies that will guide the continent towards self-economic dependence part of the reforms will push for smart working of the african union and the chairperson of the african union commission mohammed faki says this will mean africa has to be more cautious to implement what it decides
7: that we have the unfortunate habit of taking an infinite number of decisions on an infinite number of issues and themes without significant consideration of the modalities for the implementation. Most of these decisions end buried in our drawers. Everybody agrees to say that this way of doing things is hugely detrimental to the credibility and the image of our organization.
4: The summit will also tackle issues of how to combat terrorism, prevent illegal migration from the continent, and empower the youth to be more involved in development of the continent. Kole Anjohi for Channel Africa Radio in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe has called for more innovative ways of funding the African Union programs. He was speaking at the 29th Ordinary Session of the AU Assembly in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where he handed over a $1 million check to the Continental Bodies Foundation. The money was raised from the sale of his head as well as those donated by Zimbabweans. Amos Paho reports from Addis Ababa.
8: President Mugabe says his donation is in response to a call made by the AU Foundation during a summit in Johannesburg in 2015 that member states contribute towards its purse. As an African and a farmer, a donation of cattle came natural to me, given that our continent is rich in cattle and cattle are held as a store of wealth. When I returned to Zimbabwe and informed my party and people of this pledge, they said to me, ah, Comrade Mugabe, Comrade President, this is a very innovative idea for a very noble cause and we would like to be part of it. They therefore joined hands and mobilized more cattle over and above my personal pledge. Mugabe says it's not going to be easy for the continent to win itself over from the donor syndrome. I am aware that this humble gesture on our part has no universal application, but it demonstrates what is possible when we apply our minds to the most urgent task before us of finding alternative and innovative ways of funding our union and in particular, Agenda 2063. As I have said before in this assembly, unless and until we can find our own programs, the African Union will not be truly our own. On a lighter note, this is what President Mugabe had to say about his donation: the cattle that were sold on auction were seen by the by us, and they admired them. They saw the cows that moved soprano. With the lesser ones, the lesser ones moving alto and turn and the, the boos naturally supplying the pass and the protection of the family. President Mugabe urged other African leaders to emulate the method he used to raise funding for AU programs. Am Amos power in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: Whether they are run by men or women, sadly, the statistics show that most startup companies will fail. The failure rate is particularly high, though, in Zimbabwe, where many businesses, large and small, are closing down simply because there is so little money circulating the economy. But some Zimbabwean startups are backing the trend, not just surviving, but thriving, without any need for outside funding, as the BBC's Shingai Nyoka reports from Harare.
9: Everything about Moses Chipurera's startup is self-made. All the towering machinery cobbled together on site. He couldn't afford to import fancy machines and no bank wanted to give him a loan. So with 3,000 US dollars and a dream, he bought sheets of steel, hired a boilermaker and a welder. So
10: I took a big risk. If this thing flunks, it's okay. I'll chop up the plant and sell it as scrap metal. I'll cover something.
9: And yet, in just over a year, this wall plaster manufacturer has broken an international company's 60-year monopoly.
10: I had to, to break uh, a mind frame because I'm introducing a new product. But one thing that I, I've noticed is that that people in Zimbabwe are building. The construction is at a high. Because right now, if somebody gets their money, the only thing, thing that, that they've got is security. Is a house. It's going to be a one-roomed house. It's going to be a two-roomed house. At least I'm there to provide them with with a wall plastering finish that they can afford.
9: Only one in five adults has a formal job in Zimbabwe, and trade unions say over 200 companies closed down last year because of the weak economy. But startups are taking over the empty factory shelves left by the big corporates, and it's what's keeping the economy ticking. Chipurura's company employs over 20 people, and over the last year, output has tripled, but he still can't keep pace with the demand. Economists say small companies are playing an increasingly larger role in Zimbabwe, contributing 40% to the economy. And while they don't have the same access to financing or the same equipment of their corporate rivals, they have some competitive advantages.
10: By virtue of you being a small player, you automatically avoid all those huge overheads which are not necessary because these big companies uh they are where they are right now okay but they had to, to 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 sustain overheads that they've built up over years some systems which now by virtue of the economy not performing those uh entities are no longer functional
9: former bank owner and startup financier nigel chanakira explains why there are so many small businesses in zimbabwe
11: Startups are a huge factor in Zimbabwe, largely because unemployment is very high. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, school kids coming out of university and schools who cannot find jobs. And as a result, we've got a very, very vibrant and buoyant startup market in Zimbabwe. Um, we, it's estimated that the informal sector, which comprises the bulk of those startups, Uh, in order for people to survive can equate to anything like six up to six million you know individuals operating in one form or the other Uh, obviously it's a boom and bust scenario a lot of them don't make it Uh, a lot of these businesses are just there to survive you know and and you know so that people etch out a living and as a result they don't grow to phenomenal heights
9: Zimbabwe's economy remains touch-and-go, and and so do the companies, but Moses Chipurura believes that there's no better time to start a business. If you can do something in such
10: harsh conditions, you know, when the chips are down, the time that they come up, you'll be good to go.
9: And in an economy where so much is not good to go, the small business sector
1: is proving to be a rock in the storm. That report by the BBC's Shinga Nyoka. Now, let's go back in time to today in 1961. A UN committee consisting of eight with instructions to investigate conditions in the mandated territory of South Africa was refused permission to enter South West Africa, now Namibia. That's today in history in the year 1961. <music> Hello and welcome to Channel
2: Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
10: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
4: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa.
10: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjore in Johannesburg.
3: Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël
2: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: It's 8.19 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Peacekeepers from the UN Mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, are helping to provide a much-needed sense of security to displaced people in a small town in the north of the country. Unlike many displaced communities in other parts of South Sudan, these people are not fleeing the conflict which has troubled Africa's newest nation for over three years in Instead, they are refugees who have fled across the border from Sudan, just 30 kilometers to the north. Daniel Dickinson reports from the town of Bunj.
5: Almost 140,000 refugees fleeing violence have found sanctuary in the small town of Bunj, overwhelming its population of just 20,000. The refugees are living in four open areas or camps. And, as Andreas Fiadome of the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, explains, their presence has led to some tension.
3: As you can see, Bunj is a small town with very limited resources such as water, uh, health facilities, education facilities, not adequate for the host community. And then with the refugees, this creates a bit of conflict between them whilst the host community perceive the refugees as intruding or competing for the same limited natural resources.
5: The refugees started arriving from Sudan from 2012 onwards, following the outbreak of conflict between armed forces of the government of Sudan and the rebel group, the Sudan People's Liberation Movement North, or SPLM-N. A 150-strong UN peacekeeping contingent, mainly from Rwanda, operates from a small base in Bunj patrolling the roads. They provide a secure environment for the local community, refugees and humanitarian workers, a job for which the head of UNMISS, David Shearer, thanked them when he visited Bunj recently. We appreciate the work that you are doing, um, both for the people of South Sudan, uh, most importantly, but also for the United Nations and for Rwanda as well. I think Rwanda should be proud of what you're uh, doing here on the ground. The area has also witnessed sporadic fighting between South Sudanese government forces and opposition fighters known as the SBLA-IO. This has led to greater insecurity and instability in the region. Mr Shira said the peacekeepers provide an important protective presence and contribute to peacemaking efforts. It's a crossroads for a lot of different conflicts that are happening and that makes it very volatile um, and it's also therefore makes it very important that we uh, have our presence here and that they are able to provide some confidence to the humanitarian agencies that are working. Grasses and crops have burst into life in Bunj following the start of seasonal rains covering the landscape in shades of verdant green. Animals crisscross paths, peanuts are sold on the roadside. It all creates an impression of a lively and relatively comfortable village life, but tensions remain. UNHCR's Andreas Fiadome said a joint peace council has been formed by the agency and local authorities to encourage refugees and the host community to work together.
3: The essence of this is to ensure that the refugees and the host are together, have a common space to express their grievances, to dialogue, and then discuss whatever issues that come. It also serves as a valve, you know, for diffusing any tension that may be
5: brewing within the two communities. Those communities are working collaboratively. They've committed to finding peace at a local level, In the face of insecurity across the border in Sudan and the continuation of the conflict across South Sudan. Daniel Dickinson in Bunj in the far north of South Sudan.
1: Let's go back in time to today in 1979. Ahmed bin... Bella, former president of Algeria, is released after 14 years in prison as a political prisoner. Ben Bella was instrumental in Algeria's fight for independence from Fra- France, and he became the country's premier in 1962 and was elected president in 1963. Bella's popularity began to decline after his presidency, following his eccentric and arrogant behavior coupled with his increasingly autocratic rule That was Today in History in the year 1979.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zorga. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: South Africa's ruling ANC has admitted that it currently finds itself at its weakest point since being elected into power in 1994 and urgently needs to address this. Chair of the Subcommittee on Strategy and Tactics. Nati Mtetwa has outlined the challenges facing the party at the ANC policy conference currently underway at Nazarek, south of Johannesburg. He says the meeting is working out ways to overcome them. Mbali Sibanyoni reports.
12: ANC Policy Chairperson on Strategy and Tactics Natim Tetwa says it's not inevitable that liberation movements will lose power after 20 years, as is often recorded. He says ANC is determined to buck this trend.
13: The root causes are understood in our situation as subjective. We affirm that if we correct those subjective factors, we'll be able to continue with the project of transforming our society with the ANC at the helm and we we look around us, we look at different uh, liberation movements, uh, some who indeed fell flat after uh, attaining freedom, especially two decades thereafter.
12: Tetwa also added that as the ANC tries to address issues around white monopoly capital, it should be careful not to replace it with black monopoly capital.
13: Monopoly capital has to be addressed understanding the colonial character of the economy of South Africa. And our approach is monopoly capital. What that means is that whether today white monopoly capital is a dominant force within our economy or maybe a hundred or fifty years from now it becomes black monopoly capital our attitude is on monopoly capital
12: the ANC chair on strategy and tactics further told journalists that the ANC knew that it was never going to be easy for BRICS to grow in a world which is still dominated by first world countries
13: but they are not going to get there, they are not going to be uh, loved by everybody. Uh, it's politics. Uh, they are not going to be loved by everybody. Um, and and if there is no way of changing the regime peacefully, we have seen that the state has called even use military means uh, to to get to that. If you look at Libya, what is happening?
12: Tetua says the ANC has not yet considered consulting other political parties on a possible coalition for the upcoming 2019 general elections. Last year, during the local government elections, the ANC lost three of its key metros through coalitions by opposition parties.
13: We don't believe that uh, we should uh, be preoccupying ourselves with coalitions. Firstly, it's a very self-defeatist position or stance to take, you know, but secondly, we have conviction that we know what answers are and those answers are in our hands and we should actually do that which we say are our witnesses, correct them, reclaim the dust ground, reconnect with with our people.
12: The conference will tomorrow continue with commissions as well as briefings over what has been discussed over the past couple of days. Ambali Sibanyoni in Johannesburg.
1: Let's go back in time to today. In 1976, Israeli commandos raid-hijacked airliner in Entebbe, Uganda and rescue 103 hostages. Four Israelis, seven hijackers and about 20 Ugandan soldiers were killed. That was Today in History in the year
0: 1976. The world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation it is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all
9: from july 18 raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep
4: helping others in any way you can make every day a mandela day it is in your hands to make a
8: difference
4: africa
0: rise and shine Africa. Africa. Africa, Africa,
1: It's 8.30 Central African Time and our headlines up next with Ann Moussa.
2: Very good morning to you. I'm N. Musam. The Democratic Republic of Congo's army says at least five people have been killed in fighting with an armed militia in the eastern South Kivu province since last week. The UN Refugee Agency has warned that human trafficking is on the rise in Libya, but little is being done to shut down the multi-million dollar criminal industry. And Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro has dismissed moves by the opposition to hold a nationwide vote on his proposal to form a constituent assembly to replace Congress. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, Anne. The Kenyan government has introduced a new first-line generic version of the latest drug for people living with HIV-AIDS, making Kenya the first African country to do so. The drug can improve and prolong the lives of tens of thousands of people who suffer severe side effects and resistance to other treatments. A generic of DTG. First approved in the U.S. in 2013 is being given to 20,000 patients in Kenya before being rolled out to Nigeria and Uganda later this year with the backing of Unitaid, a global health agency. Sarah Kimani has
14: more. Experts say the introduction of dolutegravir or DTG offers the potential for better and cheaper HIV treatment in the East African nation where at least a million out of approximately 1.5 million people living with HIV are currently on antiretroviral treatment. Prior to the introduction of DTG, patients in Kenya paid between $50 to $60 per month for the medication. The generic version will cost at least $4 for the same dosage. Professor Sylvia Ojo is an assistant professor at the University of Maryland and also a clinical specialist.
9: Patient. So in my opinion, the dolutegravir is moving, moving that you know, the goal of making treatment less um, obtrusive to a patient's life as much as possible in terms of toxicity, but also in terms of ease of taking it and also in terms of supporting a chronic
14: condition, which means that patients will have to take drugs for several years. Kenya says DTG will initially be provided to 27,000 people living with HIV who are unable to tolerate the side effects of the first-line drug currently in use in the country. The new drug will be introduced in select healthcare facilities across the country. The aim is to make it available nationwide by the end of this year.
4: So right now we only introduce it amongst those who need to have it, which means they may have some toxicity
9: to the existing drugs, or because they are taking other drugs that might interact with the existing drugs. So for instance, those who are on methadone, uh, who are injecting drug users, but
14: also have HIV and need treatment, dolutegravir would be a better option for them. The introduction of Graville in Kenya is supported by the country's health ministry and UNITAID, a Geneva-based non-governmental organization. It is part of a project aimed at accelerating access to affordable treatment in 11 countries, among them Kenya, Malawi, South Africa and Cambodia. Sarah Kimani, SBC News, Kenya.
1: Coral reefs around the world are vanishing at an unprecedented rate as highlighted at the UN Ocean Conference in early June. As part of an effort to find out why and to reveal the underwater mystery of coral reefs to the world, self-proclaimed coral nerd Zach Rago took part in the new documentary Chasing Coral, which was screened recently at UN headquarters in New York, short over three years and Three years ago and involving 650, rather shot over three years and involving 650 hours underwater. The film directly speaks to Sustainable Development Goal 14 on preserving life below the water. Rago explains just how he got hooked on the sea.
15: I really just truly fell in love with it, and I was already, you know, kind of that, you know, bookworm, nerdy kid that loved nature and loved finding out as much as I possibly could. And when I got to the ocean space and this immense diversity and just vastness of this alien landscape came into my life, I I just held on to it and I never turned back.
16: Can you describe for us what it was like when you saw the reefs?
15: So, the Great Barrier Reef is the crown jewel. These are some of the most spectacular places in the world, and some of these reefs are the most lively, bustling places I've ever been in. It's euphoric. But at the same time, I've had this opportunity to see some incredibly tragic events happen underwater, and you can watch... These colorful and lively places transform into absolute nothingness in a matter of two months, and that is excruciating. It's also extremely important to be able to share that with the world. To see that fall apart makes it personal, and I think that's how we move forward and start to solve some of these issues.
16: How long ago was the first time that you saw a reef?
15: It's probably eight years old and would have been on the big island of Hawaii. So that's really where my first connection with coral started and and my love and infatuation. And I've been diving ever since as a job and as a hobby and as a passion.
16: Have you been back to that first diving site?
15: I have, but I haven't been back in a long time. And I would fear the worst for when I do make it back there. They are unlikely to be what they used to be.
16: The term coral bleaching, what does that really mean?
15: So coral bleaching has gotten a really bad rap over the years, mostly because it's affiliated with death. And it's just simply not true. We termed it bleaching because these corals turn white. You begin to see their their stark white skeletons underneath as their plants leave their tissue. And the plants are what gives them these colors. But when that coral is white, it's actually not dead. These corals are amazingly efficient at what they do. They get rid of the plant because if they don't, they will die. It is actually a fantastic survival chip mechanism, bleaching. But it does not mean they're dead. They have relieved themselves of their main energy source, their main food source. And so given a month, they essentially starve to death. And that's when you start to see death, which so many people attribute this term bleaching to.
16: Coral bleaching is the first step to death?
15: Yeah, to a certain extent. It is the corals trying not to die. Without it, we likely wouldn't have corals on this planet. It is the mechanism that keeps them alive and allows them to cope with short-term stress. The issue is, now in today's world, the stresses have become so frequent and are becoming more and more um, intense, that now it's becoming very scary because not only can they not make it through the events and the bleaching is not enough, it's also happening at a pace that they no longer can replenish themselves after a mortality event.
16: Some corals went day-glow.
15: So there's also this phenomenon of fluorescing. In the same way that bleaching is really a last ditch effort to, to survive, fluorescing also acts as that. It's the true last ditch effort. With their food source gone, these corals are limited in the energy that they can expend. With a fluorescing coral, these corals are under stress and they've now made an active decision, take all remaining energy and put it into basically a sunscreen to protect itself from UV that's affiliated with the heat. It's one of the things that makes me kind of optimistic. Look into the genetics and all of the biology behind these events and how corals are coping, how can we replicate some of these things that we've seen success with in the field.
16: Are you able to cultivate them in some sort of a farm? or?
15: There's a variety of research that's actively ongoing, particularly with this notion of pushing corals forward or even kind of, as we call, assisted evolution. We want to find out why this coral here. In a world of dying corals, why did you survive? What about you makes you special? Why are you different from everything else, and what is helping you? And let's try and cultivate that to, uh, to the best extent. And there's coral restoration that goes on all over the world, farming underwater, and then the, the notion of replanting those back on the reefs, which... We learn a lot from it. Is it a solution to the problem? Probably not. It's like saying we're going to replant all the trees in the Amazon. The scalability is probably not there, but the educational component that we gain from this research is invaluable.
16: Can you talk about the analogy between marine and terrestrial ecosystems?
15: Trees terrestrially act much the same as corals do underwater, but our planet is 70% ocean. There is much more life underwater than we even know exists in today's world, and when we lose those reefs, you're pulling the rug out from from underneath an enormous system that so many people rely on. And then that really scary thought that we could be losing that ecosystem because we're removing that foundation.
16: And how will that affect the earth, you know, life above the water?
15: Everything's interconnected. Anything you affect on this planet works together, and everybody has a consequence. There are half a billion to a billion people on this planet that actively live on coastlines that are reliant on coral reefs. It puts a house over their heads. It feeds their family. It gives them an income. If we eradicate this ecosystem, you're talking about an enormous number of climate refugees that can no longer live where they are now. That leads to civil unrest. There are all these consequences that are indirect but will eventually come back to anybody on the planet. These are some of the best wave breaking mechanisms, protects our shores from big waves. You lead to more erosion. All of these different little variables that, that can be a consequence will become reality if we continue at the pace we are removing coral reefs from this planet.
16: Is there anything else you would like to add?
15: We need to change ideology and make these things no longer a sacrifice. We have to make this economically beneficial, we have to make it psychologically beneficial for people, and we don't want to force people into things that actually comes off as not worth their time. We have to redefine how we communicate these issues and how we frame the changes that need to be made.
1: That was Zach Rago, a camera technician for the documentary Chasing Coral, speaking to UN Radio's Liz, Liz Scafidi. The government of Gabon has committed itself to protecting the West African nation's forests and to get funding to reduce greenhouse emissions by 50%. Berta Pesti, head of the Secretariat of the Central African Forest Initiative, says funding from CAFI will be key not only to achieve this climate target, but also to monitor it and this within the short time frame the Gabonese authorities have set for themselves.
17: Yes. So the Central African Forest Initiative focuses on the second largest tropical forest basin, which is in Africa, in Central Africa. It is about 250 million hectares of forest with major carbon stocks, biodiversity, and tens of millions of people depending on that forest, either because they live inside or around it or they live in large cities that use these forests for charcoal or food or other forest products. So it is a key resource for the populations who live in these areas and it is also a key resource for the rest of the world because of all the carbon that is stored in these forests in the trees but also, as you may know, This region is also home to the largest tropical peatland, which contains about 30 million tons of uh, carbon. So it is of key importance, and until recently, it hasn't received sufficient attention in terms of funding and political focus, so this is why the Central African Forest Initiative was created two years ago through a declaration that was signed by six partner countries in the region. So that is the Democratic Republic of Congo, Gabon, the Republic of Congo, Cameroon, Equatorial Guinea, and Central African Republic. These are the countries that contain this forest and have a high forest cover also on their national territory. And it was also signed by five donor countries, including France, Norway, the European Union, the United Kingdom, and Germany. And then last year, the government of the Netherlands and Korea joined. So these countries agreed in this declaration to try and preserve these forests and also support strategies in these countries that also facilitate sustainable development and the improvement of livelihoods. So this is why we are concentrating on this forest. And at this stage, we have already signed two agreements with two countries. The first one was signed last year with the Democratic Republic of Congo that holds the majority of these forests. A letter of intent was signed between CAFI, the Central African Forest Initiative, and the government of DRC. And now the second agreement was signed between CAFI and the government of Gabon last week. And
13: uh, talking about the the Gabonese government's commitment to protect these forests uh, to reduce emissions by 50%, how would that be
17: achieved? Okay, so the support that CAFI provides and this agreement that we have signed is actually built into a larger framework that the government of Gabon already developed. This is not new in terms of the vision. In 2015, the government submitted its intended nationally determined contribution, the INDC, to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. It is in this document that the countries proposed measures to address climate change to reduce emissions and. That
1: was Berta Pesti, head of the Secretariat of the Central African Forest Initiative on the line from Switzerland, speaking to Wandile Kalipa.
6: Zimbabwe has auctioned cattle with a million dollars to raise money for the African Union Foundation in order to end what President Robert Mugabe called the donor dependency syndrome. Mugabe handed over a check at the African Union Summit in Ethiopia. The BBC Shingai Nyoga reports.
9: Some see it as a unique gesture by one of the African Union's founding members, a million dollars donated by one of the continent's eldest statesmen to shed the African Union's dependence on foreign funding. But in Zimbabwe, where cash is short and the economy is in a crisis, the reaction to the donation has been mixed. Last year, 60% of the African Union's budget was foreign funded.
6: The chairman of Etisalat Nigeria, Hakeem Bello-Osaki, has resigned from the telecom's company after talks to renegotiate a $1.2 billion US dollar loan collapsed, prompting a major shareholder to exit the business. Abu Dhabi state investment fund Mubadala said on June the 23rd it had pulled out of Etisalat Nigeria after the telecom's firm failed to restructure the loan with Nigerian banks. Barclays Bank of Kenya has become the latest lender to announce closure of some of its branches in a move aimed at cutting costs. Chief Executive Jeremy Awori told the staff in an internal communications that seven branches were set to be closed effective October the 1st and their operations merged with other nearby branches. Awori says the move was a reflection of the changing needs of customers and dynamic realities of the environment. South Africa's state-owned Transnet said on Monday it will investigate allegations reported widely in the local media that implicated the rail and logistics firm in corruption. Allegations of corruption in state firms escalated last month after local media reported on more than 100,000 leaked emails and documents which they say show influence peddling the issuing of lucrative tenders. Transnet's Chief Executive Siabonga Kama says the board has seen it fit that those allegations must be probed. The business community of Lesotho says that the new government must prioritize the implementation of the 2012 roadmap of reforms aimed at improving the regulatory climate, which will in turn enable the private sector to increase its contribution to the country's economic development. All Basatu Convention leader Thomas Tabani was last month sworn in as the new Prime Minister after his party emerged the biggest winner in the SNAP polls on June the third that were held in the aftermath of the first much no confidence vote that was passed by the then opposition on the seven parties coalition government headed by Pagadita Musisidi. The ABC subsequently combined its forty-eight seats with the Alliance of Democrats. Basoto National Party's 5 and the Reformed Congress of Lesotho's 1 enabling them to pass the 61-seat threshold required to form government in the 120-seat National Assembly. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.12 in South Africa. It's at 10.16 in Botswana and at 9.09 in uh, Zambia. 0.77 to the British pound, 0.87 to the euro, gold $1,000, $223, platinum 902 Dollars an ounce brand crude four nine dollars to six cents a barrel I'm um, tabby Solohoku. you
1: know Everyone's been focusing on other sporting news, and uh, it seemed to have gone under the radar the fact that Bafana Bafana lost.
18: Well, yeah, you know why? Because of the <laughs> Kosafa Cup. The Kosafa Cup it's it's one of those cups uh, or those tournaments that are not rated as the the FIFA ranking tournaments, mm, and mm. even the players don't don't even they don't even think twice mm. to to refuse to uh, to attend or to 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 honor the co- the collapse mm. yeah
1: but well they lost and give they us lost, an update and
18: they lost to tanzania the line 163 th- 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 63rd
1: 63rd yeah. you don't even know how to say it properly 160 <laughs>
7: <laughs> give us an <laughs> update <laughs>
18: We will start with cricket news. Cricket South Africa, CSA, has confirmed what many South African cricketing fans feared the most when they announced that Proteus Test Captain Fav Duplessis is out of the first test against England starting on Thursday. Duplessis, who is back in South Africa for the birth of his firstborn baby, will be replaced by multiple Titans teammate and opening batsman Dean Elgar as captain. Former Proteas test spinner Paul Adams believes that the Proteas will be vulnerable without the inspirational leader but need to soldier on for the important series opener at Lords.
19: Look, I think the, the Proteas have had a tough tour so far out in the UK. It's important that senior players at this stage uh, really stay tight and, and understand the group dynamic of where they are and at, and set themselves some goals and really look to play some hard cricket. Unfortunate. That fuff is not there, but, yeah, it's a celebration of his kid's birth, and not many cricketers have the opportunity to spend time like that. But uh, it's it's important in his life to do that. So the team will have to really look to move on on it, mentally get strong on it, and understand why they're there come Thursday. It's a key test at Lords. South African hasn't been beaten at Lourdes, Um record to really look at, look at the past, draw a lot of inspiration from there. But each individual is really going to have to work hard as a unit and inspire each other to play well.
18: According to Adams, the proteas will need to negotiate the ball well and make use of
19: the early swing if bowling firsts. When you play in England, the new ball is very important. With the bat, see it off, make sure you build the partnerships and then set it up from there. And if you got the ball, see if you can strike and make it uh, work. So from a batting perspective, we talk, could be a debutant of Aino Kuhn up front, new captain as well, different pressures. Very important how those two start and setting up in innings. England will be raring to go. they got the experience of Broad and, and Anderson up there, up front, and wanting to play a lot of mind games, I think, within the press in the next couple of days. You'll see that happening. And when South Africa's had a tough turn, sometimes we're known to, for fighting back. It's important that we really, rally hard and... Be mentally tough and mentally strong when they kick off in ball 1.
18: In football news, Bafana Bafana play Botswana in this ongoing Kosafa Cup played semi final at Murulung Stadium in the Northwest Province today. Players like Nduduzo Sibiya, Teshas Malepe, and Sibongango Mbata didn't get a run in the loss to Tanzania at the weekend. And Baxter says the losers' section is the perfect platform to give them game time.
5: If we can't win it, then we'll we'll go all out for <clears throat> development. I mean, if there's nothing, nothing, nothing to be won really. I know I don't want to be disrespectful, but I mean, the biggest thing that we can take from this is if, in the remaining games, we get a couple of uh, youngsters that stick their hand up. So we'll we'll
7: rotate pretty pretty fiercely, I would think. And in tennis,
18: New South Africa's Kevin Anderson is through to the second round at Wimbledon after beating 35-year-old Spanish veteran Fernando Verdasco in four sets, 2-6, 7-6, 7-6 and 6-3. Anderson, who was beaten in the first round last year, will be looking to beat his best result at the tournament. The big-saving right-hander managed to get the fourth round in both 2014 and 2015. He now has a 10-8 win-loss record at SW17. Meanwhile, Wimbledon champion Andy Murray opened 2017 Centre Court action in style yesterday, motoring into the second round with a 6-1, 6-4, 6-2 win over Alexander Bublik.
7: Yeah, I played played pretty good. Um, moved quite well. Um, I mean, it's not the easiest match to play because of the way that he he plays. Uh, there's not loads of rhythm, and he's kind of doing different stuff on each point like I mean he served some huge huge serves on first and second serves he was hitting some 130 mile an hour second serves which you don't you don't really see much um, these days um, and yeah just kind of going going for a shot so mm. wasn't loads of rhythm but I hit the ball well I don't I make feel like I made too many unforced errors I hit the ball pretty clean and uh, Got through a tough moment at the end of the second set and did, did pretty well. And the Kazakh was in the first round
18: as a lucky loser from qualifying, but his good fortune ran out against the British top seed. That's your Sport News this hour.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, amka na unai.
1: Recapping our top stories In Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Zimbabwe donates $1 million to the AU. South Africa's ruling ANC leaders outline challenges facing the party. And Kenya becomes the first country to introduce new HIV drug. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today from our South Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutso Ramagadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at today or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. It's Metafix with a song titled Living the Four.
0: You disaster in your path, boundaries in your path. What do you desire when lift too higher? You don't have Those who never heard your cries, you shall rise.
9: Mm You shall.